because today we are jumping into a brand new series, and I'm glad the kids are here because this is a series that really brings to mind the kid in all of us. We're doing a series called You Asked For It, and the whole purpose of this series is recognizing that for many of us, we have questions, we have things that we wonder about in Scripture, or maybe there are topics or issues that we're just going, you know, I've never heard a pastor preach on that. I've never heard anyone in the church talk about that. And so I want to hear that. And so what we did is we gave you an opportunity through Facebook and through the church's email uh, to reach out to us. And by the way, it's not too late. So if at the end of the service today you're going, hey, you know what? I have a question. There's something I want to hear a sermon on. Then here's what you do. You go to facebook.com slash Baptist, and then you make a little post. Hey, would you talk about this? And um, we've had a lot of questions, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you up front, there are some questions I'm not going to touch. I'm sorry. There, there are some things that you may have a question about, and it may be a legitimate question for you, um, but I could spend four weeks with you and not come any closer to answering it. So, really are kind of looking for questions where we go, all right, what's the heart of this question? And so we're starting this new series off today, You Asked For It, and we're going to be talking about something that I think is so crucial for all of us to understand, so essential to our understanding of the world and to our place in it. We're going to be talking today about creation. And this whole idea of creation, the fact that you and I were made, and if you and I were made, we were made with a purpose. Now, a lot of the questions that came in about creation were kind of all around the whole idea, hey, so how did God create the world? Was it a six literal day creation? Was it the course of billions and billions of years? Hey, what's your talk on, thought on evolution and Big Bang and dinosaurs and Nephilim? By the way, if you ever want to find a real brain teaser, look in Genesis chapter 5 and 6 and look at the Nephilim. That's crazy. It makes you think there's aliens back in the day. So these are the kind of questions that were coming in. But here's the reality for us. All of these questions are really just scratching the surface of the question at the core of all of that. You see, the, the idea for us is not that we have questions about creation. We don't have questions really about the specifics and the hows and the where and how, you know, how did this work out and how did God do that? And let me go ahead and tell you right now, um, I don't have the answer for how God does things. And anyone who tells you they do is lying to you. That's just the truth. What does the Bible say? His ways are not like our ways. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. And so this idea that we somehow would be capable of understanding the depth of the processes by how God created the infinitely expanding universe, and suddenly we have the audacity to go, yeah, I can understand that. I can wrap my mind around that. And so really the questions for us about creation are not questions about how. They're questions about why. But before we get into that today, I want to take an opportunity to look at a few of my favorite paintings. We'll explain later. So, this is, and for any of you who were at, uh, in our Wednesday night Bible study two weeks ago, you know my relationship to this painting. 
You know the history of me in this painting. This is Georges Seurat's An Afternoon at La La Grangette. I can't speak French. I've tried. I can fake it. I can can speak English in a French accent. An Afternoon at La Grangette. That's the best I can do. But Georges Seurat, this is his beautiful painting. So can we go back and look at this for a second? Because I could talk for hours about this painting, but here's the beautiful thing about Georges Seurat's painting. If you've ever seen this in person, so if you've ever gone to the Art Institute of Chicago, and by the way, about four of the paintings we're going to look at today are in the Art Institute of Chicago. So can I recommend something to you as your pastor? Take a vacation to Chicago and go to the art museum. It's so worth it. But Seurat's painting, Seurat was the kind of inventor of what we know as pointillism. So today when you think about televisions and things like that, and we talk about pixels, so he at the end of the 19th century was coming up with the idea of pixelization because instead of painting with brush strokes, he painted with millions of tiny dots, which is why the painting has this almost blurred effect because there's no hard lines in it anywhere. It's not, it doesn't have these clearly defined spaces. It, it almost feels like it's dissolving away, which I love. I love about this painting. I could talk about this painting for a long time, but this is Georges Seurat's An Afternoon at La Grange. I want to look at the next painting, maybe one that you may be more familiar with. Anyone recognize it? Could anyone tell me who painted it? This is Vermeer, I believe. This is Vermeer's girl with the pearl earring. Johannes Vermeer's girl with a pearl earring. That's who this is. Let's look at the next one. We know this one, right? Come on. How many of you were college freshmen living in a dorm at one time and needed a poster for your wall? Come on. What is this? Starry Night. Who, wrote, who painted this? Van Gogh. Vincent Van Gogh. Interestingly enough, Van Gogh actually has four versions of Starry Night. There are four uh, iterations of this painting. And if you go once every three years, all of those, all four of those versions of Starry Night are together every four years and on display at the Art Institute of Chicago. Church, take a trip to Chicago and go to the art museum. Let's look at the next one. You know this one, right? Recognize it? This is Nighthawks at the Diner by Edward Hooper. And there's something so beautiful about it because it, 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 it almost has like a voyeuristic quality. Like you, you feel like you're just walking down the street looking in at a scene. There's, there's no real focal point. There's nothing, there, there's not a whole lot going on here. And yet this painting so beautifully captures this street corner, this diner, Edward Hooper's Nighthawks at the Diner. Let's look at the last one. You know this one? This surprisingly is a very famous painting. This is one of, if you search, what are the most expensive paintings by valuation in the world? This is a top 15 most expensive painting in the world. There are da Vinci's that are cheaper than this painting. 
This was painted by James Abbott McNeil Whistler. And the painting's name is Whistler's Mother. So essentially, a guy who couldn't afford to hire models to come and sit for his painting basically said, hey, mom, just, just sit there. I'm going to paint you. And this is Whistler's mother. Now, why is it that I wanted to show us paintings today? Why is it that I wanted us to look at paintings? Do we have another one? I think that was the last one. That's it? All right, let's go on then. Paintings reveal to us a great deal about creation. Because here's the thing. You may not be an art lover. You're, you may not be the kind of art lover that I am. You may be an art lover who loves different things. You may be an art lover, but you don't want to see painting on a canvas. You want to see someone put a 42-inch lift kit on a truck. But for you, that's art. It's beautiful. Or maybe you are like one of our worship leaders who is blown away by astrophysics. And so for him, the idea of staring at a painting is kind of ridiculous. But if you want to get into a conversation about the infinitely expanding universe and how many billions of galaxies there are and how many billions of suns there are, and what's the likelihood, given the number of suns there are and given the number of galaxies there are, what is the likelihood that another planet is within the right distance from a sun that may also have oxygen or, or maybe there's not carbon-based life forms? What if there's nitrogen-based life forms? I'm telling you all this to say this, don't have lunch with Jake. It's the reality when, when one of your friends is a genius, but his mind works in math and science. It's all he wants to talk about. But for him, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Now, you could go the other direction with it. Our, our other worship leader is, is a lawyer. And if you ever want to talk about the, the specifics of legal terminology, if you ever want to talk about the specifics and how you establish uh, laws or, or precedents and what precedents were set when and how those precedents were set and how you interpret the law and constitutional, I mean, so let me say it as well. Don't, don't go have lunch with Zach. Unless, unless you're trying to weasel your way into free legal advice. Um, because buying him lunch is cheaper than his hourly rate. But here's the idea. There is something about creation. There's something about the beauty of creation. No matter what aspect of creation we find beautiful, we find stunning, no matter what part of creation invokes awe in us, we discover something about creation in paintings. And here's what it is. The painting is beautiful, and the painting is what we recognize. The painting is what we see, and we go, wow, that is gorgeous. Even if we don't know immediately who the painter was. But even if we don't know who the painter was, the beauty of the painting brings honor and glory and praise to the painter. Which is why 
in our world, there are people who would call themselves atheists. There are people who go, there's no such thing as God. That idea of a God, your whole belief in a God, yeah, you believe in some you know, long, long-bearded guy who sits on a cloud. That's crazy. But those same people will stare up at the night sky and go, wow. Those same people at the birth of their children will go, wow. And even though they don't know the artist, the creation gives glory and honor and praise to the creator. And so, for us, as we're going to talk about creation, what we're really talking about is not that we've been created. We understand the idea that we've been created. We understand the idea that even though we can't explain how, we can't explain how we got here. We can't explain how, you know, th- this worked. We can't explain how, you know, how, how did a mom and dad make me? How did, how did my unique situation, how did all of this work out? How did it happen? And here's the reality. The greatest scientific minds in history, people way smarter than me and even smarter than Jake, haven't figured out the how yet. And so for us, the question today is not how am I here? The question for us is why. Why am I here? Why was I created? What on earth am I doing here? Because for us, all of our questions about creation, all of our questions about the how of creation are really just circling around the core. And the core is why. Why was I created? Why am I here? Why am I existing? Why Did a creator put me in this place and in this time with this family, with this group of friends and this, why? Mark Twain most famously said this, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Mark Twain is getting to the core of our existential dilemma. Mark Twain is getting to the core of what's really going on inside. When we think about creation, we're not thinking about how. We are thinking about why. And so questions of creation for us are never how. They are always questions about why. And so for us, we need to understand as we approach the idea of creation, as we approach what God's Word says about creation, we need to understand that God's Word is not telling us how, but why. And this is one of the areas where I think we have really struggled in the post-enlightenment world as Christians. Because as science has rapidly, 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 rapidly increased, we know more and more today. The reality of what we know today has so far surpassed what we knew even a year ago, what we knew 10 years ago, what we knew a generation ago. And so where we struggle as Christians is we are people who are trying to continually make sense of our worldview in light of scientific development and more and more information, and we're trying to figure out how we can make this jive with that. And so let me ease your tensions today, church. 
The Bible doesn't help us to understand how we were created, and it was never intended to. The Bible was written by dozens of authors over at least 1,400 years, and at no point in its authorship, and no point in its creation, at no point in its divinely inspired word was it ever intended to tell us how. The creator God is going to look at his creation and go, let me explain to you how I did it, as if we could even begin to grasp it. The Bible is not a scientific book. The Bible is not here to tell you how creation happened. The Bible helps us to understand why. And the why is so much more important because the why actually has impact and application in our lives. The how for us is practically somewhat meaningless. The how is practically less important to us because all we know, God created. That's how, think about how the Bible opens up in the beginning. Well, first of all, it's not the beginning of God's story. It's the beginning of our story because God is eternal. So there was tons of beginning before the beginning. In fact, there was an eternity of beginning before the beginning. So the Bible opens up in the beginning, God created. It doesn't tell us how, it tells us who, and it tells us why. So for us, trying to spend our time and our energy and our resources trying to wrap our hands, uh, our heads around how is, is a waste of time for us because we're not going to get there. But the Word of God exists so that you and I could understand why. Why was I created? That's the purpose of Scripture not to tell you how you are made, but why you are made. And so here's the question that we're really dealing with. Why were we created? I want to look today at Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 7. And the prophet Isaiah records for us, this are, these are the words of God speaking through the prophet to Israel. And I want you to hear what God says to his people. But now thus says the Lord, who? He who created you, O Jacob. He who formed you, O Israel. So what is, what is God making abundantly clear from the start of this prophecy? What is he making abundantly clear from the very beginning of this word he has to deliver to his people? I created you. I formed you. Don't you worry about how, because I'm going to tell you some why. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Who do we belong to? We belong to God. Who made us? God made us, and we are his. We belong to him. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, 
the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Sebian exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes in honor and I love you. That's the word of God. That's God speaking over you and I. And what does he tell us? He created us. We belong to him. And to him, we are precious and honored and loved. Maybe you've spent your entire life waiting to hear that. Maybe you've spent your entire life waiting to hear that the God who created you sees you as precious in his eyes. The God who formed you says you are honored and I love you. That's what, that's what your creator says. Your creator announces over his creation, you are precious to me. You are honored in my sight. I love you. And because I do, I will give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed in me. This is what the God who created you is announcing over you. One, you were created. You were created with purpose. You were formed on purpose. You weren't an accident. You are loved and honored. You are precious in the sight of the Creator. And He made you for one purpose, for my glory. The creator is making a creation so beautiful, so abundant, so incredible, and he's going loved, precious, honored, bringing me glory. So we think about what Paul says in Romans and how Paul announces these words. He says, though, though, they, though they claimed to know God, they, they, they acted like he wasn't real and they exchanged worship of the creator for the created thing. And so what happens in the world, our sinful instinct is to look at all of the creation and go, yeah, let's worship the creation. And we miss the point because sometimes at the core of all of that is a truth of going, this is beautiful, this is incredible, this inspires awe, but this came from somewhere. And so the creator gets all of the honor and the glory and the praise. So let's look at it in Genesis. What does Genesis tell us? 127, so God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So that's the beginning. So if Genesis is the beginning, Revelation is the end. Let's look at Revelation, Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. We were created for his glory. He made us in his image. He's worthy of all glory and honor and praise because of the fact that he created us. And here's the beautiful thing. Jake, you might have to come up and talk about the nature of an eternal view. Blow our minds for a little bit. This is Jeremiah 31. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Everlasting in the Hebrew is the best example that we have of a word eternal. I have loved you with an eternal love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. So I want to tell you something that's going to blow your mind. You were loved before you existed. You were loved before you existed. The love of God predates your creation. And God will love you into eternity long after your body has withered away. You've been loved with an eternal love. So what do we get from God's word? What does God's word tell us about why we were created, why we were made? So we need to know a few things. We were made for God's glory. That's why we were made. We were made for God's glory. The primary purpose of my life, the divinely created purpose of my life is to give God glory. That's why I was made. I exist to bring God glory, not the other way around. And in our sinful nature, one of the things that we can do is we can fight and crawl, we can scratch because we're trying to get so much glory for ourselves. We're trying to get so much glory for me. But I wasn't made to bring glory to me. I was made to bring glory to God. We were made to be image bearers of God. We were made to be image bearers of God. We were made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. Now, this doesn't mean we look like God. This means that there's something in us. There's something about the spiritual nature and identity of who we are and who we were created to be. We were made with a divine fingerprint, and that's true for every man, woman, and child on the planet. So your greatest enemy is an image bearer of God. The person you hate the most is an image bearer of God. The person you voted for and the person you didn't, whoever that may be, are image bearers of God. And what that means is you and I on our best days and on our worst days. We are image bearers of God. And we were loved. 
We were loved before we were created. We were loved before we were created. Now, that might be a crazy idea. It may be tough for us to understand this idea that God, out of his love, that God's ultimate impetus, his his motive to make us for his glory is his love for us. And that may be a strange thing to say because we look at it through human eyes and we go, wait a minute. So God made us out of love to bring him glory. And if we look at it through human eyes, we go, well, that's incredibly selfish. He loves us so much that he made us for his glory. But that's our human understanding. You see, God is the supreme. God is that of which the greater there cannot be. God is the only foundation for our lives. God is the only sufficiency for our life. God is the only joy in our lives. And so God loves us so much that he created us that we might experience his glory. He loves us so much. He's going, you know what? More people have to get a taste of this. God is so fulfilling. He is so sufficient. He is so awe-inspiring. God brings so much joy to your life that it is the most loving thing he could do to go, oh yeah, let's make more creation, more creation, more creation. In fact, let me breathe out the infinitely expanding universe because everything is going to bring glory and honor to me. And the most loving thing a good God can do is bring more glory and honor to himself. Now, that's a hard thing for us to wrap our our heads around. That's a hard thing for us to grasp. But that's what's at the core of this question. Why was I made? I was made because there is a God. And he is exactly who he says he is. And because he is infinitely fulfilling and infinitely sufficient, he loved me before I was even created. And he created me out of love to bring glory and honor to him. Because he's the only one who is infinitely fulfilling. He's the only one who is infinitely sufficient. He is the only one who is God. So why was I made? Because he's God. I was made because he's God. And so I was made to bring all glory and honor and praise to him. That's why I'm here. So how do we bring God glory? How do we do that? How do we bring God glory? If that's what we were made for, how do we do it? And you know, I think one of the things that we get wrapped up in or we get trapped in is this idea that somehow there's only one way to bring honor and glory to God. And so we go, all right, well, I guess I'm gonna quit my job and go to the mission field you know, I, I don't speak any of the 38 languages they speak in Southeast Asia, but I, I guess I'll learn on the fly. We have such a small box we put God in sometimes. This is what his word says. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, 
God doesn't need you to be a pastor or a missionary or a worship leader. Here's what God wants you to do. Get up tomorrow and go walk back into the same family that you're a part of. Go walk back into the same career that you've had for 30 years. And here's what you're going to do. Whatever you do, you're going to go, you know what? I'm going to bring God glory and honor right here. I'm going to walk into this job. I'm going to walk into this house. I'm going to walk into this neighborhood. I'm going to walk into this school. I'm going to bring God glory and honor right here because God doesn't need me to go somewhere else to bring me to bring him glory and honor. I bring him glory and honor simply by existing as he created me to be. I bring him glory and honor simply by walking in his truth. This is 1 Peter 4.11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And this is Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You were created to bring glory and honor and praise to God. And you can do that right here in your life you can bring glory and honor to God in the same places and in the same relationships and in the same job that you've had. God doesn't want to change your circumstance. He wants you to be transformed in it. God's not trying to pick you up and move you somewhere else. God's trying to transform you right there in the middle of it. That's why you were made. That's why you were created. That's what we're here for. And so we have two choices today. There are two roads before us. We will build our lives on our glory or we will build our lives on God's glory. I will build my life on my name. I will build my life trying to make me famous. I'll build my life trying to get me glory and honor and praise. Or I will build my life upon the name of Jesus Christ and everything I do will be for his glory and his honor and his praise. But here's the problem for us. If we choose the former, if we choose to build our lives on our tiny glory, Not only are we making an unwise decision, but we are making a decision that is a distortion of our divinely created purpose. You see the, the painting, the sculpture, the creation, creation, when the creation goes, come on, I'm taking the glory, I'm taking the honor, I'm taking the praise, it belongs to me. 
when we do that as the creation, we miss the point. We miss what we were created for. Because at the end of the day, creation is only going to give glory and honor and praise to the Creator. And you and I are not the Creator. We're not the Creator. So we're going to give the glory and honor of our lives to ourselves, or we're going to give it to God. But that's our choice. That's all that we're going to do. We're going to give the glory and honor and praise to creation, or we're going to give it to the Creator. But guess what? In eternity, only one name survives. In eternity, no one's going to talk about Rob Stone. In eternity, no one's going to talk about Duns Creek Baptist Church. In eternity, every single one of our names will fade away into history. But Jesus, the name of Jesus will be eternal. The name of Jesus will be declared. And so if we want to live our created purpose, we take everything we have and we go, it's all about Jesus. I'm going to give everything I have to Jesus because that's the only way that my life is not wasted. It's the only way that my, my life doesn't fade away into eternity. Because when I give all that I have to Jesus, I'm, I'm aligning with him and I'm saying, Creator, your creation wants to give you honor and glory and praise forever and ever and ever. And so everything else may fade away. But Creator, you are going to live forever. Your name will remain forever. You and I were created with a purpose. We were created with a purpose to give Jesus the glory and honor and praise that belong to him.